listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Good morning, Queen City. You should know that today is Ethan Pugh's birthday. Yeah. His mother called me this morning, told me to make sure I let everybody know. So thank you, Teresa. Oh, my goodness. It's good to see so many of you here. You guys are all very beautiful people. Yes. I know. Somebody told me I look good this morning, and I just, I just said, don't I? I mean, that was my response. I mean, when somebody tells you you look good, that should be your response. Don't I? Don't I, though? Whew. All right. It's going to be good this morning. So get ready. It's going to be good. You ready for this? Man, I'm telling you what. Oh. You know, we, we do worship every Sunday. Some Sundays are better than others. I take them all, but I really appreciate the good Sundays a whole lot more than the not so good Sundays, man. I don't even have to be leading worship for it to be good. That's even, that's like a bonus for me, man. But dang, it's really interesting how you can walk into a worship service. The band can be the best band in the world. And those songs are the best songs in the world, and you don't feel a dang thing. You know what I'm talking about? And then some days you walk into the room, it's the worst band in the world, the songs are dumb, and, and you're just like falling all over yourself because it's so good. So, well, I'm not going to reveal that part, but... I just like to say that so much of our worship experience doesn't really come from what's happening here, but it's really about what's happening here. So, so, you know, I'm like anybody, I'm, I need breakthrough in my own life, but, but when I, you know, I don't always get it, but man, when I get it and then I come into a worship service and I'm tender and I'm not cynical and I'm not filled with unbelief. It's amazing how, how simple words become very meaningful to you. So I was just experiencing that this morning. And I, that's my prayer for all of us is that, I mean, it's not always going to happen. You're just going to have bad Sundays, but nevertheless, we endure. Amen. Well, here's the thing. There is something tremendous about knowing the Lord. Okay. I know that's an obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways. There's something tremendous about knowing the Lord. There is something great about knowing the Lord. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, there is a surpassing greatness in knowing the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, everything else, everything else that I have encountered, I consider loss Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing my Lord. You should remember that in your life. Because there are going to be plenty of things in this world. That are going to try to talk you out of the surpassing greatness of knowing your Lord. There are podcasts about this. There are books about this. People are writing blogs that 
The greatness of the Lord is something not worth knowing. And I'm telling you, the surpassing greatness of knowing the Lord is incomparable. And there's nothing else in life that's the same as that. Ooh, that was good. So here's the thing. I've been knowing the Lord for long enough now. That I know he's worth knowing. I have tasted the Lord's goodness too much in my life to be talked out of it now. I've had seasons where he didn't seem as present. And and that's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus into trouble and through difficulties. I appreciate the honesty of the Bible. That it discloses the great weaknesses of the people that wrote it. For instance, in in Corinthians 2, Paul says this. I was in such a bad place. I was in such great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure, that I even despaired of being alive. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever felt like, I can't do this anymore? And you've compared yourself up against the people in the Bible, and you thought, they're spiritual and I'm just a scrub. Well, the person who is mostly uh, responsible for the New Testament says in the New Testament that things were so bad in my life that I didn't even want to be alive. That's good news for you and me, isn't it? There's some solidarity between us and, and the Apostle Paul. So, so much of our life is not going to feel like it's breakthrough. It's going to feel difficult. It's going to feel hard. But we don't trust in breakthrough. We trust in the God who raises the dead. You're not called to live your whole life waiting for breakthrough. Because only 1% of your life will be breakthrough. And then the rest of your life will be something else. And if you're only spending your life looking for the breakthrough, you're going to be completely missing the point of the rest of your life. But can I just tell you this morning how sweet breakthrough is? So when I say breakthrough, I'm not talking about a miraculous change of your circumstances, although it can include that, okay? But what I am talking about is I once was blind, but now I see. All right. So this is the whole process of your Christian life. You you met Jesus, you were blind and then you see, but it doesn't stop there. That's the whole journey of your life. You've got these different areas in your life where there's blindness and the Lord is continually bringing you into a place of seeing rather than not seeing. All right. The Holy Spirit leads us from one knowing into the next knowing. Because what we currently know is not the fullness of knowing him. We are always growing in knowing. The spirit is taking us from one glory to the next glory. But sometimes it feels like we get stuck between those glories. Do you know what I'm talking about? Even in the times though when we feel stunted. Like we feel like we're going backwards. God is still working. He's still doing a work inside of you, even when it seems like the opposite is true. 
We are being transformed into the image of his likeness. Don't trust in your own faith in God. Trust in God's faith to bring you to where he wants you. Don't trust in your own faith. Trust God's faith. So even though, even through Paul's many trials, he had something on the inside of him. He had something in his bones. He had something that made his tongue salivate. He was hungry and thirsty. He had this inner drive that allowed him to view troubles and trials as, well, not to diminish those things, but just as something that you go through as a human being on the earth. He said it like this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So there was this thing that was on the inside of Paul that made him crave knowing the surpassing greatness of Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The spirit of God is actually drawing us into the fellowship of sufferings, which goes against the conventional wisdom of the world that we live in or the conventional wisdom of our own minds even. Because we're actually working our way out of situations that would bring us into the fellowship of suffering because somewhere along the line, we told ourselves or we got the idea that suffering is equal to God's displeasure with us. Or it could also just be that pain is painful. Right? So I'm not setting up my life to take on as much pain as I can possibly take on. That's not what I'm saying to you. I'm saying there are times in your life when the Holy Spirit will lead you into the wilderness. And one day you'll wake up and you'll say, there's no trees or rivers anywhere to be seen. All I see is sand and rocks. This can't be the Lord, but it is the Lord. It's funny because he goes on to say this. He's writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Here's a guy despairing of death, despairing of life. He's just got a lot of despair. He doesn't know what to do. But there's this back and forth transaction between him and these, this church. And he says, it was good of you to partake with me in the really bad things that are going on in my life, you are joining me in those things. So this is a fascinating scripture. Paul, Paul, Paul calls God. He said, first of all, he says, God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this, the father of compassion. And then he says this, the God of all comfort. When you think of God, you should be thinking of three things. That God is the father of Jesus Christ. That God is the father of compassion. And that he is the God of all comfort. And what does he do? He comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort any one of you that are in trouble. 
with comfort that we have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Man, that's not something that's preached very often, often, but the sufferings of Christ are flowing out of Christ into your life. That's Bible scripture, guys. So there are two things that flow from Christ into your life. Suffering and comfort. Jesus has given you two things. Suffering and comfort. All right. Say thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) So suffering and comfort flow from Christ to you through the body of Christ. Your brothers and your sister's troubles are your troubles. Your brothers and sister's joys are your joys. Your sister's burdens, your brother's burdens are your burdens. Your sister's victories, your brother's victories are your victories. So if you're taking notes, my message today is called Life Together. And today, here's what I want to do. I want to persuade you that the person sitting right next to you All the people in this room are the most important people in your life. So I can already hear some of you arguing with me right now on that point in particular. You're thinking to yourself, I barely know these people. I don't even like these people. It doesn't matter. For as much as you take all the people in this room for granted, they are a gift to you and to me. We are each other's gift. You know, the Lord will give you some presents that you don't like. All right. If you have your Bible, open it up to the book of Psalms, chapter 130. Oh, I think I wrote this down wrong. I think it's 133. Yes. This is a very short and important psalm. This is called a song of ascent, a psalm of ascent. And goes like this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. And I just want to say for your average 21st century person, that's just a weird metaphor that doesn't make any sense at all, right? I mean, you, you might have some biblical understanding of it but like for most of us that just it's just a weird picture of an old guy with oil running over his head okay so it's like hey it's really great when the when the house of the lord is dwelling together in unity and it's like this metaphor of an old priest with oil on top of his head it's just like that and we're all going oh wow yeah that's an amazing revelation lord thanks for that you know but 
But if you're reading the Bible and you want to understand it, sometimes you have to like throw away your, uh, uh, it's not your intellect. It's, it's like a different form of intellect. You have to read it more like poetry than you have, than you do like an actual, um, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. But anyways, here's, here's what this means. This is a strange metaphor. Okay. And in it, we witness Aaron. Now, Aaron was the, the brother of Moses, and he was the high priest. And in this psalm, it's a picture of something that happened a long time ago. But in it, he is being consecrated. He's being set apart. In fact, the pouring of the oil over his head, it, it's like this prophetic picture, this declaration that this person right here is sacred. This is a very important thing. And we're going to take this costly oil and we're going to pour it over his head and it is going to be wasted on him. And it's going to drip all over his head and it's going to get messy. It's going to go over his face. It's going to go down his beard. And then then the scripture says it even goes down to the hem of his garment. So this very powerful image, this metaphor is pointing to us that the unity of the church You and I walking together is a sacred and good thing. The writer is saying that this is what the church of Jesus Christ is like. We are a group of people who come from all different places with different histories, with different social economic situations, with different likes, with different dislikes. But we are united and one in Christ through Christ and to the glory of Christ. That is the only reason why we've gathered here. Is because of Christ. God has declared our union with each other as something sacred. The oil was only for the high priest. It was rare and it was special. And the oil was fragrant and was poured out. The smell, the smell was diffused. And this is interesting. The oil flows downward, even to the hem of Aaron's garment. So like that, brotherly love extends to all who are underneath it. The oil does not remain in the place that it first fell, but it flows down and out. And it does not ask permission. It goes where it was not sought after. So, so here, this is, we are a people of the word. And today we're submitting ourselves to the word. We're submitting ourselves under the word of God this morning. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about community. And I know that's such a, just a trendy word. Community. I, I was telling the team this morning, if I hear one more message about community, I'm just going to die. Like, I don't want to hear anything about community anymore. It's like a thorn in the flesh now within the church. Hopefully, this won't be one of those messages to you. So Jesus came and he lived. What did he do? He lived among people who called themselves his enemies. This is his task. This is why he came. He came to bring peace to the enemies of God. All right, just hang with me. I'm going to tease this out for you. So as Christians, we are not meant to live in seclusion. We are not meant to live a cloistered life. 
We are to live in the middle of the world in the thick of those who claim to be enemies of God. So what we're doing here right now is very important. I can't tell you how meaningful this is to me and to you. Okay. Oh, I can tell you this is very meaningful. But what we do here on a Sunday morning is actually, um, it's, it's kind of strange, but this togetherness that we have on Sunday morning is manifested out there Monday through Saturday. So this was the work of Christ and it is our work too. And what does this work look like? It looks like this. You and I living in visible fellowship with one another. All right. Invisible fellowship with one another. It is a grace from God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share with each other God's word and God's sacrament. So let me tell you, this is one of the greatest issues that I have in my life. I take things for granted. Anybody else? Got that working on them in their lives. You've taken things for granted. All right. I I tend to take things for granted. I take my life for granted. I take my church for granted. I take my job for granted. I take my spouse for granted. I take you for granted. And you take the same things for granted. And this is what the Lord has been shaking me out of. He is showing me how much I need you and how much we need each other. So. I was thinking about this this week and I realized this. I would not be who I am today without the, the physical presence of other Christians in my life. I know this seems like these are obvious things that I'm saying, but I don't know that I've often stopped and thought about this. Like how I have been formed as a human being who follows Jesus has been directly impacted to my putting myself in the vicinity and the proximity of other people who are Christ followers. And when I fail to do that, when I back away from that, I'm diminished. So you are a source of incomparable joy and strength to me and to each other. That's why we're doing this. All right. When I imagine my life without the close proximity of other Christians, I don't like what I see. Christians are a people who are constantly or should be constantly thankful for the bodily presence of their sister or brother in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. The prisoner, the sick person. The Christian in exile sees companionship of a fellow Christian as a physical sign of the gracious presence of God. The visited and the visitor in loneliness recognize each other, the Christ who is present in the body, and they receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence and humility and in joy. So I know All of this sounds like great in theory, right? Like 
The community word, it's a fascinating word. Everybody wants community, but we all know that that's, that word has all these ideals attached to it. And sometimes those ideals, they're problematic, aren't they? All right. In reality, it seems like, like community or, or Christian fellowship is an unattainable ideal. The word community is a word that is thrown around all the time. But community is much harder and less romantic than the idealized notions of that word. So at times, when I have imagined a fulfilling community where I would be most fulfilled, I have imagined a place full of really successful, really beautiful, socially competent people who are talented and funny and easy to get along with, who would help me fulfill my destiny and where I would be satisfied 100% of the time. My vision of the perfect community would be one where I get all my needs met and I wouldn't have to do very much heavy lifting in the way of, of meeting other people's needs. Oh, and also the worship and preaching would be the greatest in the world. Raise your hand if you've been looking for this community too, all right? Just put them up high, all right? So we wanted to be in a community full of true believers, radical on-fire revivalists, and instead we got the standoffish, the limping along, and the unsure. We were hoping to get in with the zealots and the super spiritual, and we demanded that God surrounded us with glory clouds and do-gooders, but instead we found ourselves surrounded by human beings who in their frailty revealed to us the very thing that we hoped and prayed wasn't true, that we were one of them. So... Here's the thing. This is real talk. True community has nothing to do with me having my act together so that you can feel good about yourself. And vice versa. Christian community is only and always will be based on and in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. Community is not based on our personal piety. Community is not based on our personal spirituality or our corporate spirituality. Even our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done for you and what he has done for me. Here's the very definition of actual community. We belong to each other through and in Jesus Christ. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. I know I just said the word Jesus Christ, the name Jesus Christ, like six times there. But our community is Christocentric. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal. It is a divine reality. Christian brotherhood is not a psychological reality. It is a spiritual reality. And that should be a huge relief for you because that means it's not based on how you personally feel about that group of people. 
You know, this is, this is the case. It will never stop being the case, but there will be some days you come to church and you bump into six people and you're going to walk away thinking that is the worst place on the face of the planet. And I'm never going back there again. You just ran into a bunch of Christians. We are all going to have that experience, guys. That's called life. So your assessment of being a part of the community of the body of Christ can't be based upon your personal feelings. I hope this is hitting you softly. So this is a relief to us because we don't necessarily have to have pleasant feelings about our community. None of what we are doing here has anything to do with how amazing any of us are. It doesn't even hinge on how you feel about anything. We are here by God's grace. We are held together by God's grace and we are being led by God's grace. And if you run into somebody who's mean or who's awkward Just give them God's grace because that's all that you have to give them anyways. So you can let yourself off the hook. You can let your church off the hook. You can let your preacher off the hook. You can let the worship team off the hook. You can let the person who didn't say hi to you today off the hook. You can let yourself off the hook at that awkward exchange during the break just now. None of this is riding on how wonderful any of us are. This is a gathering of people who find themselves in Christ and see each other as in Christ. We have no righteousness of our own. Everything is built on Christ alone because that is the only thing that will stand. Everything else is just an illusion and every illusion is on its way to being shattered. So you know what happens when we lose our illusions about life? Like, like, have you ever experienced disillusionment? Like you thought life was going to be one way and then you meet this great disappointment and you have to work through that and it takes you a couple years, right? But really that's a gift. When God comes to, for your illusions and you think it's terrible, he's really handing you the gift of grace in your life. As hard as it may feel, it's still the best thing that could ever happen to a person. Because when we lose our illusions about life, we increase our capacity to not take things for granted anymore. Remember, I told you I've been dealing with taking things for granted. It's one of the major issues of my life, okay? But here's the thing. When I get free from the idolatrous ideals in my mind, I get free to enjoy reality. I become free to love what is in front of me rather than loving the ideal that exists in my mind. The illusions that you hold in your mind about life keep you in bondage. They keep you from growing and knowing. Your ideals keep you from loving the actual person in front of you. Instead, you're wishing for the idealized person who lives somewhere else but who doesn't really exist. Isn't that... Isn't that It's not just true about individuals. It's true about churches. Like we have these fantasy churches in our lives. We're like, oh gosh, if only I could find this really spiritual community over here where all the people tithe, everybody sings during worship and all the children are behaved during service. (laughs) That place doesn't exist. And places that attempt to manipulate that world are dealing in an illusion. 
I don't want to go to a church where human beings can't be human beings. I don't want to go to a place where everybody has to have their perfect face on in order for them to come into contact with me. You could say that our ideals are the biggest obstacle between us and actual real community. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't give a rat's butt about our ideals. That's in my notes. (laughs) That's so weird. (laughs) Jesus is the great ideal smasher, the great table turner over, the great non-negotiator. He doesn't negotiate with us when we worship at the altar of our own ideals. He just lets us have our way until we won't have our way anymore. And this is where the breakthrough happens. You know, a lot of times we are praying for breakthrough. And what we really mean is God change our outward circumstances. Give us breakthrough. Change my husband. Change my, change my wife, Lord. Lord, change my kids. You should pray for your husband and wife. You should pray for your kids. But those prayers don't always get answered instantly. But we're praying a lot of times for breakthrough in our outward circumstances. But it's our circumstance that God is using to bring us into freedom. Oh, man. I'm telling you, man. Friday night, I was tasting some, some wispy glimmers of glory at the Vietnamese restaurant on South Boulevard, man. I'm telling you. Oh, God. Me and Amy have been going through this thing where we've been trying to adjust our outward world so that we could feel alive again on the inside. And we've been so resisted by life in the process of trying to manipulate our circumstances to the degree that inwardly we have been so exhausted from trying to grasp by our own strength what we thought was grace. But grace was already there in the circumstances that we were already in. And it wasn't until we decided to own that reality that we could feel that flood of grace that God had been trying to get to us the whole time. And we're, we're sitting at this restaurant on South Boulevard. I mean, there are so many good holes in the walls on South Boulevard, guys. South of Tyvola, that direction, man. You just got to like throw, throw a rock and whatever restaurant you hit, you just walk into it. You will have the best food, man. So there's a place called Saigon Palace. Who knows Saigon Palace? Oh, yeah. The real ones know. Yeah. So we're in Saigon Palace and... Amy and I are having this back and forth discussion. It's not our normal date night. Normal date night is where we have three arguments before we get really settled in. But this was like, like a good date night where we were just talking, no, no tension happening at all. Just this back and forth, just life in general. 
And Amy starts telling me about these friends of ours that had just kind of walked through this. Well, when I say friends, I'm, I mean acquaintances. I'm not, I'm not even talking about people I care about, really. I'm, I'm talking about acquaintances, you know. She starts telling me about these people that are walking through this situation. I'm telling you, something happened to me, and it was out of nowhere. I wasn't thinking spiritual thoughts. I wasn't feeling love. I wasn't feeling anything emotional. But I started weeping like a baby at the table because the Holy Spirit pulled up a chair to the table. And he started ministering to me in a way I haven't felt in six years. And it was like, oh, breakthrough is so sweet. Breakthrough is so sweet. Jesus, thank you. It was like 10 minutes prior to that, I was so blind. And then all of a sudden I could see. It was like, it was a legitimate experience where the Lord touched me and I was changed, actually changed where, where, you know, you know, when you, when you feel real tender in your heart and then everybody that you see after that feeling of tenderness, you just love. It's so weird. It's like being drunk. It's like when you get drunk, everybody that you see, you love. It's just like that. I mean, Pastor Robin talks about the intoxicating love of God all the time. It's not a metaphor. It's a real thing. The Lord wants to touch us because that's the only thing that can grease the gears of human fellowship, especially within the body of Christ where everybody's trying to be religious and good. And trying to fit in because, you know, we've got all these weird rules in the church where you've got to have like your morality right or something to be involved. But man, when the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to touch you in a way that only he can do, man, it changes everything. So I don't know why I'm telling you that, except that I had another guy tell me about an experience like this on on Wednesday. He was I was on a phone call with this guy and he was telling me how the Lord just walked into his house and he was having a visceral reaction on the phone. And I'm just sitting there going, yeah, that man, that sounds great. You know, when somebody tells you about something really amazing, but you're not experiencing it yourself, you're like, cool, bro. You know, I was trying to be a good friend. I was like, yeah, this sounds amazing. But something got on me. He was testifying to the goodness of the Lord and what the Lord had done to him. I just said, wow, that's amazing. I love that. And then out of nowhere, it hit me. I wasn't, I didn't even ask God for it. So I'm telling you that because my hope is, is that you're catching something from me right now. You know, so much of what we're trying to do from here to here is not that you be taught something, but that you would catch something. I mean, literally, there are some smart people in the world who know the Bible so much better than I ever will. And I appreciate those guys so much. I'm thankful that there are people doing the hard work of studying the theology of Scripture and creating a framework for the body of Christ to know what to stand on from a scriptural standpoint. But man, that will not change my life. You need the work of theology in your mind and in your heart. But more than that, you need the Holy Spirit to show you that the life you're in right now is exactly the life that he wants you to have. And I'm not saying there aren't different times and changes and season shifts. There are there is room for that. But your whole life isn't one continual season shift. 
There will be times when you get to attach yourself to a group of people and then you get to stay with those people in that place, even though you know there's a better city on the West Coast that you could be living in right now. I'm from the Bay Area. You know, great marriages are not easy marriages. I I counsel young people all the time. They come to me with their boyfriend or girlfriend or or fiance or whatever. And they're, they're like, this person is so weird and messed up. I don't think that I'll be able to marry them. And my thought is, is all people are weird and messed up. Where's the person who's not weird and messed up that you're going to find so that you can marry? My rule of thumb is find the person whose lists of cons are something that you can live with. Right? Everybody's got a list of liabilities, right? Let's be honest. When you're looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life with, the decision only boils down to, can I live with their liabilities for the rest of my life? Because the deal is, that list of liabilities is really just a mirror that the Lord is going to use to hold up so that he can show you your list of liabilities. And anytime you want to pick up a rock to throw at your spouse, that's just a mirror back at you. I'm giving you a grace message this morning. This is, this is all grace. I'm giving you permission to have nothing but grace and mercy on the people in your life. Spouse, friends, children's mom, dad, whatever, man. I, I, the, one of the greatest joys of my life was when I, I let my dad just be him. When I, when I stopped feeling like I needed my dad to be this certain person, You know, like you can get, you can experience a lot of freedom and joy in your own life when you give your parents permission just, just to be who they are and let the Lord do his work in them. This is all of human relationship is you learning to not be a manipulator. So I don't really know how any of this works, but I was asking the Lord about why I was feeling so much love at the, the Vietnamese place on South Boulevard. I mean, I honestly, guys, I, I can't emphasize this enough, but I was really feeling his love. I don't want to know about God's love. I want to feel his love. I really, that's, I know that's, that causes problems for people, but I'm just telling you the way I want to do it. Some people are happy to know about God and study him from a distance. I want to feel him. Sue me. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I just, that's what I'm doing. Okay. So I asked the Lord about this and he said this to me and I quote, you can feel my love right now because you've stopped being a manipulator. You've been trying to manipulate all of the things in your life to perfectly align so that you can be happy. But I didn't create you to be a manipulator. I created you to be a lover. I made you to give love and I made you to receive love. I made you to empty yourself out for the sake of your brother and your sister. You're actually hardwired for this. There are many scriptures in the New Testament Where it says that Jesus emptied himself. 
He emptied himself out. I'm always trying to get fulfilled. And I think that's the source of my greatest dissatisfaction is that in my pursuit of my own fulfillment, I'm perpetuating the frustration that I feel on the inside. What did Jesus say? If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to empty yourself out. You've got to give yourself to the thing that doesn't make sense to the people who feel the most awkward. You've got to waste your life on the people that you can get no outcome out of. You you know, one of the greatest sins within the body of Christ right now is networking. People are doing things for other people so that they can be known, get ahead, get in with the in crowd, create a ministry, whatever. It goes down the line. And the call of the spirit is he's asking each of us to stay in hiddenness and give ourselves freely to people that will never be able to even say thank you or give anything back for the thing that you gave. And you, if you do the math, it doesn't make any sense. But here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing that the outcome of a life like that is filled with infinite joy and comfort and satisfaction and peace. I'm, I'm asking, this is one of my prayers. My, one of my prayers is that the Lord would free the church from the addiction to Christian celebrity. Because there's this thing that gets on us where we stop looking at the kingdom differently. And it's, it, it stops being an upside down kingdom where the, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Where there's this, this guy at the very front who says all the important things and does all the big conferences. And he's just the most important guy because he says the most amazing things. And my prayer is, Lord Keep me dumb as a donkey if it means that I can feast on your table of rich love all the days of my life. So we're hardwired for love. You're hardwired to only be able to depend on grace. You can never depend on your own manipulation, end quote. That's what the Lord said to me. Are y'all feeling this this morning? I feel. I'm just going to prophesy this. Um, Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Okay. The Lord's coming after me in my own life. The Lord's coming after Amy. The Lord's coming after our family. We feel like the Lord's coming after you guys. There's an opportunity right now where the Holy Spirit is is really leading us and directing us in a way that if we pay attention to him more than we were yesterday, there are going to be things that begin bubbling up that will catch you off guard and will surprise you. And we just have this sense that that this church, I'm talking about this place, these people, you people in particular, The spirit of God is weaving together something truly significant. 
And when I say the word significant, I'm not saying it would be known on the national level. I'm saying the Lord has a heart for this city. He has a heart for this city. And I believe I'm not an evangelical person. I do not go witnessing. I don't really talk about Jesus very much to people. Okay. But what I believe is this, this church, just like many churches in this city are, is a city on a hill. And as we grow in our love for each other, as we grow in our honor and respect and humility and service of one another, that is going to increase the evangelical motion of this church. I'm not bringing any kind of strategy. I'm not doing any kind of outreach program. Believe me, if somebody calls an outreach meeting, I'm not going to that meeting. But I get this sense that God wants to do something bigger than what we have yet imagined. Okay. So I'm going to close with this. We're, we're going to move into taking the Lord's Supper together. And I'm going to have uh, Tanner and May Fink come up and lead us. But I want to end my message with this. Here's one of the things I've been thinking about lately. Um, we have been dealing with the issue of shame in this church for a few months now. And I don't feel like backing off of it just yet. All right. And I had this experience this week where I heard a testimony of a person who was under great shame, but they received a blessing from this Catholic priest. And when I read the, when I read the blessing, I was wrecked and I realized how much in my own life I need somebody to lay hands on me, actually lay their physical hands on me and bless me. And we all need that, guys. We're going to do this. It's going to be weird, but I don't care. Okay, so let's stand up together. And this is all I'm going to ask you to do. If you feel comfortable laying hands on somebody next to you. Ask the person next to you if they're comfortable with you laying their hand, your hand on them. Not not really right there. Okay. Okay, put your hand on somebody. Don't be shy. If you see somebody who doesn't have somebody, make sure they get God. I'm going to read this blessing, but it's going to be like you're saying this to them. Okay. If the person that you're laying hands on is a man, you will say son or you will pray silently son. And if it's a girl, it would be daughter. All right. So this is our benediction today. And then we're going to take communion. Heavenly father, this is your son. This is your daughter. In Jesus, he is my brother. She is my sister. Fill him, fill her with grace and blessings to do your work. For there is much work that she needs to do. 
Allow her to feel your love. Let him know that I love her too. Ooh, that's good. That's from the person right next to you. That's not even a descent from heaven to earth. That is right next to you, y'all. May almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, stay standing. And Tanner and May are going to direct us right here. Y'all good? Y'all good? We're almost dismissed. But well, let's take our time with this, Tanner. Yeah. yeah. This is so good this morning. Yeah. for you, Jesus. Mm. We're so thankful for your body. We're thankful for what you've done, for what you did for us. Mm. I just, like, who, I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm feeling that, that thing Andy was talking about, like, that we're catching it. I just, I just want us to catch it because it's really good. So we just say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, sit at our table and he'll meet us at our table. We don't have to go somewhere else. He'll come to our table right where we are. So we say, Jesus, come to our table. Come to this table, Jesus. Mm, you are so, so good. no work involved on our part but to say yes so we say yes Jesus as we're taking a communion today just say yes to the Lord you don't have to be um, a regular at the church to come and take communion just come and take communion and say yes. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bless it. If you need healing, you can find healing in his body and in his blood. So we say healing. We say joy. We say shame go. Just go in the name of Jesus. If you, if you are having um, if you have shame and, and it is anxiety and it crushes you, we want it to go. And you come and take the body and you drink of his blood and be healed. Mm. Mm. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for community. 
thank you. I am, I am so thankful for this community. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, come, come and eat, guys. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.